Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Chris Mandel will discuss prioritizing and managing emerging risk. Chris is the founder, president, and managing consultant for Excellence in Risk Management, LLC. We will also be joined by Prima's education coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Chris, thank you for joining us today. You bet. My pleasure. So for starters, what are emerging risks? A normal or typical risk identification process may or may not identify risks that aren't obvious and in your face, so to speak. But you can think of emerging risks as kind of those known unknowns, as Rumsfeld said at one point, or unknown unknowns is another term that he used to kind of describe the somewhat undescribable. But the idea is that there's things that are going to emerge over time. They may be moving quickly. They may be moving slowly. They're going to emerge over time that become risks to the organization. And those are what are classically considered emerging risks. And the, the, the question of you know, how you actually define them is to a person you know, defined differently. But in general, they're the things that we don't know much about. We may not know anything about them at all. They may be around the near-term, mid-term, or long-term horizon. But in any case, they're not a part of what we would normally consider, you know, the easily identifiable, accessible, and evaluatable risks that make up a typical organizational risk profile. So that kind of makes them a pretty big deal, you know, in some respects, because they tend to be have all the characteristics I've described and others, but the most significant of which is they also tend to be highly destructive on the negative side of the equation. So they're not things that we can afford to ignore. What are the components involved in emerging risks? We can kind of think of them as characteristics, you know, and beyond, you know, what I've already described. There's six six ways in which you can kind of think about these things in a bit more detailed fashion. And the first is, as you'd expect, they have a high level of uncertainty. You know, whether you try to apply actuarial forecasting to them, where you're trying to get a handle on, you know, what's known in the business parlance as the probability that they're going to happen, or more qualitatively, just the likelihood that they're going to happen, they tend to be hard to pin down, which, you know, makes them highly uncertain. So that's the first component or criteria that we think about when we talk about emerging risks. Another one is the a lack of consensus that we tend to have around their importance, their relevance, their significance, or any other number of terms that we try to apply to the analysis of these things. But in general, whether you bring other subject matter experts to the table beyond the risk experts or outside third-party folks who would maybe be able to add something to the discussion to get a consensus around those criteria I just mentioned, you know, relevance, importance, significance, even their speed, you know, how soon will they be part of our universe, so to speak? When do we really need to be most concerned about them and actually maybe take action in dealing with them? So the third element is actually relevance itself. So because of their nature, they they tend to have uncertain relevance, 
right? So you can say, well, this is a emerging risk for our type of organization, but there may not be any consensus around how relevant it really is to our future state, whether that's tomorrow, next week, or five years from now. So this is a problem because if you can't get general leadership to agree on the relevance of something, then it's really hard to get them to agree to invest in any mitigation efforts or even any rudimentary or even mid-level assessment efforts that can get and normally would try to get more detail around the risk. So that's where relevance comes in. As a result of all three of those components or criteria that I've mentioned, they're difficult to communicate about. You know, people often don't know what to call them, put proper labels on them, and they don't know necessarily how to talk about them, uh, let alone how to really assess and evaluate them for the key criteria that we care about most with respect to risk and whether, you know, they're being effectively managed or whether they need more attention. The fourth element is really, again, now a function of the prior four, and that's the difficulty of finding and assigning ownership of, of an emerging risk. For obvious reasons, if all those four things or any of them are true about it, then it's it's not hard to understand why most people, but senior executives included, wouldn't want to necessarily take accountability and responsibility for something that you know, has those kinds of characteristics. So I believe that every risk needs to be owned or have at least one owner, and many of them have multiple owners. In this context, emerging risks are often orphans with respect to ownership. And then the sixth and last component is really the fact that these things often emerge in a systemic business practice or organizational process issue. And as a result, they both may be not too obvious to be able to find, but also they may implicate lots of parts of the organization, organizational processes, strategies, objectives, goals, and and the like, including tactics. Those are the six most important component parts of how I think about emerging risks. Why are emerging risks such a priority amongst senior leaders these days? Well, in fact, they have been on the kind of priority list of boards of directors and other governance authorities for probably 20 years, at least 15. And, you know, what that suggests is that they recognize that their risk oversight responsibility, at least talking about a board, is pretty significant and growing more significant all the time. So they understand that sometimes these things can be so significant that they can actually be what I call organizational ending events. And of course, that's Part of the board responsibility to make sure they understand those most significant things and ask the hard questions about who owns them, who's managing them, what's their current state, what are we doing about them, when will they be within you know reasonable risk appetite and tolerance levels, et cetera, et cetera. Another reason why they're priority amongst leaders are that they tend to be, in many cases, strategic risks. And if you look at the research on types of risk, you find that strategic risks are probably the least understood. But on the other hand, they're the most significant in terms of destruction of value. And one study in particular showed that in this one 12-month period, amongst a large group of senior officers surveyed about this, 68% of the time, the destruction of 50% or more of the value of an organization occurred as a result of strategic risks. The third reason goes back to the beginning, and it's really, if you think about a board particularly, it's part of their fiduciary responsibility in their risk oversight process to understand 
that the risk profile of the organization is being effectively managed. And to the extent it's not, simply means that, you know, somebody needs to be called to account, some action needs to be taken, maybe resources need to be allocated or reapplied, any number of uh, action items that is part of their accountability. How can emerging risks be best managed? I've mentioned some of the evaluation criteria that I would consider important. So I guess, first of all, I'd say, you know, those involved in this effort really need to be looking both inside and outside the organization. So that's kind of known as environmental scanning. So internal environmental scanning, external environmental scanning are both important aspects of this work and trying to you know, manage these, you know, kind of hairy beasts, if you will. But a rating process, you know, would include some of the things I mentioned earlier, like trying to rank the relevance, for example, or put a rating to relevance. I mean, you can do it simply, you know, one to five scale, one to 10 scale or whatever, or, you know, get more granular about how do you define relevance, which is probably important to have any kind of significant dialogue about it. Another element is just importance, right? So you have relevance, you've determined it's relevant. Now it's a question of how important is it? to the organization. Of course, the first way to look at that might be to say, well, how strategic is it or how much strategic impact could it have to our long-term plan for mission accomplishment, right? The strategy and the strategic plan itself. So importance is a, is a key criteria. Another one would be the literal uncertainty level that we're talking about. Now, if there's not a lot of data and there often isn't, then it's not actuarially predictable, but you might qualitatively be able to, you know, say how much uncertainty we're dealing with, such as, again, on some kind of a five-point scale or some other methodology where you at least are defining levels of uncertainty, such as, for example, on a five-point scale, you know, one being relatively certain, five being, you know, highly uncertain, for example. So that's another aspect of the management process. Of course, ultimately, you know, from the scanning process, we want an identification process that helps us figure out what these things are, literally putting the initial information to them. And I wouldn't rely on our you know, existing or traditional risk identification process for that. I mean, you may think that it would be captured in that process, but you might be surprised at how much might be missed because in the normal risk ID process, we're not necessarily asking all the same questions that we are about emerging risks. And so I would literally and am in favor of an emerging risk identification process as one of the key elements of managing these exposures. And then, of course, to the extent that we've identified them, maybe we've got some fundamental assessment about them that answers some of the questions I mentioned earlier. We may be at a point as a result of that activity that we decide, well, there's nothing else to do. We're not going to invest in mitigation or on the upside, we're not going to invest in trying to leverage the risk for value creation. That's that upside of risk aspect, and that applies to emerging risks just like it applies to all risks. So we're going to put it on the shelf, and maybe we're going to revisit it in 6, 12 months, 2 years, whatever it is. That would be part of a a defined monitoring process that would say, you know what, we looked at it. It didn't rise to the level of any of our criteria that suggests we need to do anything now, but, you know, it's significant enough in its potential destructive impact, or it's significant enough in its potential value a lift that we should revisit it at some future date. And that's where you put it into your risk monitoring process. Where do black swans fit into the picture? Well, probably a good idea to define a black swan. And I, I like to generically say a black swan is that bird that didn't exist until somebody found it existed. And that's true. 
at one point in time, nobody knew about black swans as a literal bird. And then one day they came across a black swan and there, there he or she was. So a black swan, you know, in effect is an emerging risk, although emerging risks go beyond just black swans, right? In that, you know, they are often known to some degree as opposed to a true black swan where it's just completely unknown or what Rumsfeld would have defined as the unknown unknowns. So a black swan is important, but a lot of people blow them off because they are unknown, right? And trying to discover the unknown is a pretty arduous exercise. And yet, when the black swan comes home to roost, as I wrote last year for the trade press that I thought COVID-19 was a black swan, well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people asking a lot of questions to risk leadership about how did we miss that or why didn't we do more to be prepared for it? So we can argue all day long whether COVID-19 was a black swan or not. That's not the point. You know, now it, it no longer is. And I guess, you know, even though pandemics in and of themselves were not black swans because we've had plenty of them, really what made COVID-19 unique in this context was that it was a, a pandemic unlike any other. At least that's what most people would say. Has it killed as many people as the 1918 Spanish flu? No, not by any stretch, right? 50 million people died from that event over time. And while, you know, Regrettably, many people have died as a result of COVID-19. It doesn't reach anywhere near that order of fatality magnitude. And yet it's caused all kinds of economic disruption that I don't think has ever been seen as a result of a, a prior pandemic. So again, in that context, it becomes a bit of a black swan, if not a lot of a black swan. But in this vein, I just also want to mention that there is a couple other animals in this kingdom that are probably relevant to understand. So, you know, our listeners may hear reference to gray rhinos. And gray rhinos are those probable high-impact trends that are clearly observable. But they're often ignored for whatever reason. So disruptive technology is a great example of a gray rhino. They could also be considered those known unknowns. Examples of gray rhinos are things like artificial intelligence and its implications the implications of blockchain, how cybersecurity is morphing, what climate change will ultimately really do, as opposed to what a lot of people guess it will do. So that's the second animal in this emerging risk kingdom. The third is known as white elephants. And white elephants are kind of existential risks that are difficult to address. Decisive actions are often difficult to take because they're often viewed as no-win situations fraught with uh, subjectivity, emotions, and in some cases, loyalties. Rumsfeld might have referred to these as those known knowns. Some examples of these things would be you know, uh, situations of sexual harassment and abuse that organizations experience, ushered in by perhaps the Me Too movement, et cetera, et cetera. So good to understand you know, the relatives of the black swan as well as the black swan itself. So again, we'll, we'll think of and define a black swan as that highly improbable thing, difficult to predict, that often has very significant to even company or organizational ending importance. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.